Over the past two weeks, I've watched two different debates. I haven't watched all the debates. Did anybody else watch any debates over the last two weeks? I never watch debates. Why in the world do I watch a debate? For some reason, I tuned in for two different debates. One debate was between uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Ryan. Any of you watched that debate? I think there's been a few. I only watched one. And then I watched another uh, debate between President Obama and Governor Romney. Anybody watch that debate? Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about politics today. It's just politicians make for good sermon illustrations. And these were considered great debates by like the news channels and everything. They said these are great debates. I mean, they're filled with passion. I mean, there's not a dead moment in these debates. The, the candidates are very aggressive toward one another. They're pointing out the flaws of each other, the character flaws. They're attacking each other's positions on things. And it's considered great debates. And I've heard different ones on different news channels weigh in on their opinion of who won each debate. And I've heard some of you give me your opinion of who won each debate? And what I found is this, is if there's a candidate that you favor, in your opinion, your candidate won the debate. But what I found is not a matter of opinion, is simply this. I think we all can agree that kindness has not been shared by any of the opponents during the debates, has it? Kindness, like encouragement, builds people up. Not tear them down. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you're going to need to turn there this morning. 2 Samuel, it's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Then comes 1 Samuel, and in 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. As it's here, we find a beautiful story of kindness. The setting is about 3,000 years ago in Israel. David was king of Judah. He's on a victorious roll. Winning battle after battle. He had defeated the Philistines, brought the ark of God back to Jerusalem. He was famous. He was a, a very good warrior, a great warrior, many said. And he was walking in a very special place with the Lord. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Allow me to back up and remind you of a few events that took place before David asked this question. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul I can show kindness to? King Saul was king before David was king. And it's important to add that Saul and David did not have a good relationship while Saul was alive. And even after Saul had died, there were still wars between the house of Saul and the house of David. Yet David still wants to show kindness to the house of Saul on behalf of his friend Jonathan. Jonathan was the firstborn son of King Saul. Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines many years before. But Jonathan was David's best friend. He had tried to intervene and bring peace between his father Saul and his best friend David because he loved them both. So the question is asked years later by David. Is there anyone 
whom I might show kindness to. Not is there anyone deserving. Not is there anyone qualified. No, is there anyone. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I, might, that I may show the kindness of God to him? Is there anyone? Now remember who Saul was to David. Saul was a liar to David. He, was a, he cheated David. Saul hated David. Saul actually tried to kill David on one occasion while David was playing music for him. Saul had hunted David through the hills of Israel like hounds pursuing a fox. Knowing what we know, most of us would ask, why would David want to show kindness to anyone of the house of Saul? Why? And the answer is simply this. David was walking in a very special place with the Lord. And he wanted to show the kindness that God had shown to him to any descendant of his former enemy, Saul. A thousand years later, Jesus would teach a radical teaching. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. God's kindness, God's kindness, is a love that loves the unlovable. It's showing mercy to those who are merciless. It's being good to those who are sometimes totally bad. And I ask you this morning this question. Is there anyone you can show God's kindness to? Is there anyone in your life, not is there anyone qualified, not is there anyone deserving, but is there anyone God is calling you to show his kindness to? Is it that coworker who never carries their load? Is it that neighbor you're always trying to avoid because they get on your last nerve? Is it that family member who always brings the drama to the equation? You may say, Steve, you don't know my coworker, you don't know my neighbor, and you don't know my brother or my sister, and you're right, I don't. But God does. And if you have a pure heart that sees people the way God sees them, I promise you, you'll find the power to be kind to them. Six months ago, a family was put in our lives here at church who had lost everything in a tornado. They didn't have any insurance. And when we met this family, we had just prayed, you know, God, you lead us to the people that we need to help, who need your help. And this family's the first one we, we met, so we thought, this has got to be the right folks. Now let me tell you, there's many excuses we could have made of reasons not to help this family. We could have nitpicked them. We could have found what's wrong with them. That's not what God called us to do. He called us to show His kindness. Lee and Kurt both went in there just right after the tornado and helped this family bring what belongings they had that could be salvaged out of the rubble of their home. 
Then there was Kyle and Leisha, Aurora and, and Matt and, and Walt. And many of our students that are here with us this morning. They went to their house and they helped them clear the trees in their yard and clear the debris and pick up everything and help them try to find the things they were missing around there. Bev went and helped with the, the hard job of the laundry, which is a big job after a tornado, by the way. And she spent all day at the laundromat showing kindness. We as a church have helped them financially. We're continuing to help them. They've set up a trailer now on their property and they're building a room onto the trailer so because it's a small trailer. That way there'll be room for their kids to, to live there with them. There's a group of us going down Tuesday morning and we're going to hang a little bit of drywall and help them see the, the next step they need to take. And to everyone that's went down to work at their place, Jeff and Terry have said the same thing. They said, you're a godsend. The church is such a blessing. You know, it ends up that Jeff and Terry, the couple we've shown kindness to, they've had a lot of problems in life. A lot of problems. And Jeff and Terry a year ago didn't have any connection to any church anywhere. Not at all. Their first encounter really with the church for the last several years is when the church showed up at their house and said, we want to help you. Three days ago, Terry had a surgery. She's battling cancer. Much of the month of September, Jeff was in the hospital with heart problems. And through these times, there's been many conversations on the phone. And every time we've prayed, and every time it seems like they're trusting God more and more, they're starting to go to church. They're starting to find a church family down in their area. And seeing their lives change as we talk about the leaves changing, seeing their lives change before our, our very eyes reminds me of a verse that's found in Romans chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 4. And it says simply these words God's kindness leads you toward repentance. God's Kindness, the kindness shown by God, the kindness shown by God's people leads people to change. Leads people to repent and turn to God. You know, Jeff and Terry didn't expect anyone to help them. They didn't expect us to help them. But you know, no one expected King David to be kind and help anyone in the household of Saul either, did they? Yet because of David's relationship with God, he was kind to Saul's family, and he asked Saul's servant, is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Well, Zibra, the, the, the paper-shuffling bureaucrat, the former servant of Saul, he says these words. He says, well, there's still a son left of Jonathan, and he's living in Lodabar, and by the way, he's crippled in both feet. Now that may not stand off at the, from the page to you, but it does to me. I believe when he's saying he lives in Lodabar, he's saying he lives on the wrong side of the tracks. He lives in that neighborhood that we don't go to. It's a dangerous neighborhood. It's not a good neighborhood. And when he says he's crippled in both feet, that doesn't stand out to us much today, but it did in that time. And what he's really saying is, King David, there is a son... His name's Mephibosheth, but he really don't belong here. You really don't want him around the palace. 
What's he saying? Here's what he's simply saying. He's not our kind. He's not like the rest of us. Mephibosheth is damaged goods. But the funny thing is, is that when we're walking and talking with the Lord, like David is walking and talking with God, the words, He's not our kind, the words, She's not our kind, never make it out of our lips. This doesn't happen. When we're walking in the Spirit of God, there's not a white and a black church. When we're walking in the Spirit of God, there's not a biker, a Cadillac, or a Yugo church. If any of you remember what a Yugo is. When we're walking in the Spirit of God, there's not a rich or a poor church. The only church is the blood-built church of Jesus Christ. That's it. Only one church. No one person in this church is any better than anyone else. With the exception of Jesus Christ, we've all been stained by our sins, therefore the words, He's not our kind or she's not our kind, cannot be said in the Lord's church. Instead, we're like David. And we say, is there anyone I can show God's kindness to? Is there anyone? Today, when you leave here, and you get in your car, ask yourself, is there anyone I can show God's kindness to today? When you wake up in the morning, thank God for giving you another day, and say, Lord, is there anyone I can show kindness to today? Is there anyone I can help today? Is there anyone in my life who is in need of encouragement today? Lord, is there anyone I can sit with at lunch today who needs a friend Is there anyone? Is there anyone I can call or visit today who needs a lift up? Needs to be just lifted up. Is there anyone I can cook a meal for today? Is there anyone I can help do their homework today? Some of us struggle with homework, students. Nothing's better when another student comes alongside of us and says, can I help you with that? We're too embarrassed to ask when we need the help. Boy, we always take it. Is there anyone who maybe needs a ride today? Most importantly, is there anyone I can show God's kindness to? When David heard about Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, grandson of King Saul, he asked Ziba in verse 4, where is he? And again, Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makar, son of Amel in Lodabar. And immediately, David sends for Mephibosheth. The royal chariot thunders up to the shack where Mephibosheth has been hiding for the last 20 years. He's hiding because he's afraid that if King David finds out that Saul still has a grandson alive, they'll have him killed. But David would not kill him. Instead, David puts him in a royal chariot. I imagine pulled by matching white stallions. He gives him a first class ride back to Jerusalem where he meets the king face to face. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. Remember that. Don't be afraid. 
David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Do you remember what expression Jesus would tell his disciples when they were afraid? Do not be afraid. Go to Jerusalem and tell my brothers to meet me there. Take courage, it is I, Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Get up, don't be afraid. And after David calmed Mephibosheth's fears, he told him that he was going to restore all the land that had belonged to his grandfather, King Saul. And he tells Mephibosheth, you'll always eat at the king's table. Mephibosheth woke up that morning hiding in a shack in old Lodabar. And when the sun set that day, he's in the king's palace, receiving an inheritance he did not deserve. But that's what makes this story a story of God's kindness. A story that represents what God has done for each and every one of us through the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth and his household had scrounged for years just to get by. Yet they would live the rest of their days in the king's palace. He became a man of great wealth. He traded his ragged clothes for the best clothes money could buy. And notice, it's not because of his own goodness. It's not because of his own wisdom. And it's not because of his own accomplishment. But it was because of the kindness of God that was shown to him through King David. Friend, it doesn't matter what nightmare you're experiencing in life. It doesn't matter what wrong turns you've made in life. God says to you this morning, I'll come and get you. I will come and I'll dredge you out of that dark, deep pit. I'll give you a new song to sing. I'll put a smile on your face. I'll remove your fear and I'll fill you with my peace. And the truth of the matter is this. Mephibosheth's story is the story of all of us who wear the name of Christ. It's all our stories. For we've all been permanently crippled by our sin. We were enemies of the cross, condemned to eternal death. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because of God's kindness expressed to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are reconciled, adopted, and justified before God. Imagine with me that you lived in a country ruled by a king. And in that land that was ruled by a king, you were the lowest of low. 
your occupation was prostitution. Imagine, each and every one of us were, were prostitutes. One of the most looked down upon occupations in society. And just imagine with me that the king of the land declared a pardon to all prostitutes. And declared that prostitution would no longer be legal, illegal. It would no longer be against the law. Now, if you were a prostitute, would that be good news for you? Of course it would. You wouldn't have to worry about getting arrested anymore. You wouldn't have to worry about running from the law. You wouldn't have to worry about your criminal, criminal record following you anymore. You'd be pardoned. Of course it would be good news. But the question is, would it inspire life change? Would it really change your life? No, it probably wouldn't, would it? Probably still be a prostitute. You'd probably still be in the demeaning, depressing profession of prostitution. But I ask you this, but just suppose for a moment with me that the king of that land, in addition to extending the pardon to prostitution, he came to you personally and asked you to be his bride. That you be his wife. Would that change the way you live? Absolutely. Who wouldn't trade the life of a prostitute for that of a queen? The reason I say this is because of this. When you became a Christian, you probably understood that your sins were forgiven, but that alone does not bring real life change. But let me share with you what does bring real life change. The Bible teaches that we, the body of Christ, the church, the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. And that alone changes our identity. We're no longer sinners haunted by the low times and the poor decisions of our life. We've been changed. We've been made new. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that the church, the bride of Christ, is without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but that we are holy and blameless. And my point is simply this. Those who abide in Jesus Christ, who are covered by the blood on the cross, are not who they used to be. Because of the kindness shown to us through Jesus Christ on the cross, we have been changed because kindness changes things. Changes everything. Kindness changed Mephibosheth's life a lot. He no longer lived his old way of living life in a shack in Lodabar. No, he was a changed man. He lived a life of royalty. And what was really neat about that with my own kind of crazy imagination, it says he ate at the king's table. And Mephibosheth was no doubt embarrassed and, and just really bothered by the fact he was crippled and couldn't walk like everybody else. But whenever he sat down at the king's table and sat up, he was just as tall as everyone else there, wasn't he? Eating at the king's table. Absalom, pass the biscuits down this way, please. Changed guy. Changed guy. God sent an invitation 
to each and every one of us to partake in His kingdom. He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and pay for our sins. And He said, you be my bride. And friends, that changes things. When we understand our identity of who we are in Jesus Christ, it changes everything. And this morning, if you've not accepted that invitation, go ahead and stand. The chariot is just rolled up. The matching white stallions are pulling it. And God says, come. Come, abide with me. And live with me in my kingdom. My question to you this morning is, what is your response to God's invitation? And if you've never accepted that invitation before, we invite you to just come to the front and we will pray with you as God does the transforming work in your life. Lord, you know what's going on here. You know what's going on in each and every one of our lives. And this time we're just getting out of the way and you do what you need to do with us. Lord, if there's one who's not eating at your table right now with you, I just pray that they will say yes to your invitation. In Jesus' name we pray.